Hello and welcome to season two of our podcast. You'll notice that we've changed the name of the podcast for this season. And the reason is that now we've got two businesses in our stable. We want to be talking not just about the process of buying businesses, but also about owning and growing businesses. I'm standing outside XL Engineering, which is the most recent acquisition that we've made into our group as part of a consortium. XL is a 50-person engineering fabrication business based in Cheshire. It's a really exciting time here. It's a really exciting time for us. In this season, Bethan and I are going to be working together to hopefully bring you some really exciting discussions and some great guests. You can tell the sun's shining here in Cheshire because my glasses have turned dark, uh, which is always a great sign here in England. It doesn't happen every day, but uh, in between the rainstorms today, we've got some sunshine, so that's great too. But without further ado, what we want to do is move on now to episode one of season two. Why don't you start by giving your listeners a bit of an update as it's been a few weeks since you last spoke to them. So tell them what's going on. It has been. It has been a few weeks, probably longer than I would have hoped for. Essentially, what's been happening is that we have been finishing our second acquisition. I say finishing. We've we've been... Uh, the whole point of the change and the nature of this program, we're, we've been completing the first phase, which is actually acquiring the business. Yes, we acquired a four million pound turnover engineering business, which fits in well with our strategy. Um, but it's been pretty time consuming exercise because not, not only have we had to deal with the whole negotiation process with the sellers, but also um, in buying the business, we've done that as part of a joint venture. So it makes it a bit more complicated because we've got partners on our side of the table too. Mm, interesting. Okay. And why, for those out there who may be, um, you know, putting together deals and going on their own joint venture journeys, what are some of the pros and cons do you feel between doing a joint venture and acquisition? Well, the, the benefits are that you get a broader skill set on your side of the table because you've got someone else sat alongside you who probably has a different background and skill set, which is hopefully complementary to yours. So, so that's good. And also, once you get into the business, you've got another pair of hands. And as we'll come on and talk about, that can be quite useful. And the, the downsides are, well, I suppose you end up owning, say, half the shares rather than all of them. Or you don't, you know, you, you're giving away a percentage of the ownership, which means that ultimately if the business is resold, you get less. And the other downside is the complexity because you've just got other things to deal with because you've got to spend time agreeing stuff 
on your side of the table as well as dealing with the people on the other side of the table. Um, it worked and we got there. Um, and in this particular case, we didn't set out looking for a joint venture, but what we found out was that someone that we knew was also bidding for the same business. And it seemed, it, it just made sense to join forces rather than competing against each other. Um, so that's what that's what we decided to do. And we'll see, I mean, it takes time because you end up working with someone that you don't necessarily know very well. Um, and it does, it, so it does add a layer of complexity, but it also adds a layer of experience and expertise as well. So uh, we, we will see, but it's, yeah, it's interesting. And it's certainly a way to do it and it, it potentially frees up some of my time to focus on other things as well. And okay, let's go back to the business itself then. So tell us about the business and why you felt this business was a good fit for Okay. Out. Yeah. This this business is a, a classic sort of business that I would look for. Um, it was owned by three people, all of whom wanted to retire. So a retirement sale, the business has been going for 31 years. It's profitable, it's stable, it's got a good customer base. Um, but also looking at it from the outside, we could see opportunities to improve the business, to increase revenues, to increase margins. So good growth potential, as well as being a good business from the start. So that, that's why, and also the fact that it's an engineering business, which is the sector that we decided that we're going to focus on, certainly in the short term. So, oh, and the other thing is it's quite local. It's 12 miles from home. So that makes it very easy. So also it now forms the corporate HQ as well as being one of the operating businesses. So it gives us a base to work from. So I'm actually working out of here full time. Mm. Okay, and so now that you own the business, you know, it's a fairly biggish size business, four million turnover, um, with 50 odd employees. Like you say, you, you obviously get some information going through the acquisition process um, during the due diligence stage. But how do you actually go about walking in the door on day one and <laughs> like figuring out what what you need to do how like where to start mm. that process yeah it's it's an interesting one because as it happens we've walked in through the door at a time when there are a lot of problems and issues in the business that have just happened to appear right now so um to say the place is on fire is probably a bit of an exaggeration but there are some fairly serious things that we've got to deal with on top of getting to grips with the business and the people and everything else so it's uh, it's an interesting time to come in um i mean the, the the process essentially was the same as we followed with our first acquisition last year because the the people who work in the business don't know you're coming um, in this case, there's a small management team of three people who were told literally a couple of days before the deal completed that 
the sale was happening, but we'd never met them. They didn't know who the hell we were. And the rest of the people who work here have no idea. So you literally appear on the first day. In this case, because of COVID, social distancing, we had to get everyone outside in the car park. And the three outgoing owners stood in front of them and said, we just want to let you know we decided we're going to retire and we've now sold the business to these guys. And that was it. Um, so we had to introduce ourselves to everybody and try and try and do it in a way that was as non-threatening as possible give them the reassurances that they wanted because obviously in a takeover situation the first concern is am I going to lose my job mm. so it's trying to reassure people that no you're not going to lose your job and actually we're here to grow the business to make it better to create more jobs so that's the message but then they look at you and go yeah right so the, the key thing then is to be seen to be doing stuff um, that backs up what you're saying and that's really been I mean the, the deal was completed I think it's three weeks just under three weeks three weeks on Thursday so um, we've already started to deliver on some things we talked about and um, being seen around the place being visible talking to people and doing things which are consistent with what you've told them you want to do and so far it's working well um, we've not got any negativity from the workforce a lot of people have worked here for a long time which is fairly typical with these businesses you know the people have been there 15 years 20 years so they're very used to a certain structure they're very used to a certain group of people who they're reporting to and the people who owned this business are very different to us they were hands-on engineers they two of them at least out of the three would regularly be down on the shop floor wearing overalls and making things whereas obviously we can't do that so we have to win their respect in other ways um, and show them that we've got different skills and different things to bring to the party and hopefully we've we've started to deliver on that already it's early days things could still go horribly wrong but um we've done a lot of listening and then we as i've already made some early decisions and tried to fix some things and support the managers there was a bit of an issue here where the owners would they they appointed managers but then not not deliberately but they undermined them yeah. by allowing allowing the guys on the shop floor to go behind the backs of the managers and appeal to the owners if they didn't like what the managers were saying and that left the managers feeling very exposed and undermined so one of the key messages in the early stages has been to the managers to say we're here to help you we're here to support you and if you say something and make a decision then no one is going to go behind your back no one is going to come to us and undermine that because our answer is well the managers have said it so that's what it is mm. and that's that seems to have worked well so far um so yeah i mean it's, it's early days lots of things can happen 
Um, I think the other good thing, in a way, the fact that there are problems right now inside the business, there's basically some of the equipment that's quite core to the production process is not working. We're trying to get to the bottom of it, trying to get it fixed. And it helps because although it's bad that it's not working and that is impacting on the profitability of the business in the short term, the guys can see us in action. They can see how we're dealing with it. They can see that we're getting to grips with the problem. So that's good because it's not about what you say, it's about what you do. And it's about what, and this is the other lesson I learned actually. I got told off about a week in and I just got told off by one of the guys on the shop floor who said to me, look, you seem like a nice chap, but you've got a problem because you're spending your time sat in the office and the rest of the guys here don't know who the hell you are and haven't seen you. So you need to get out here. And I took that on board. So now every day, whether I've got reason to do it or not, every day I'm out on the shop floor walking around and it's just smiling saying good morning to people having a bit of a laugh and a joke with them I mean it's interesting how it works I mean here's a great example there's a bit of a culture issue where people don't really care as much as they should do about what's going on around them and about the business this is grassroots and the way that you can see that is they leave stuff lying around and some of it can be dangerous because it's stuff that people can fall over, basically. So they leave stuff lying around. And I was down there yesterday. There's one particular area of the workshop, which you've got to walk through it to get into another part. You've got to walk through it to get to the paint shop. So there's, I'm walking through and there's shit everywhere. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, should I? But anyway, there's stuff everywhere. Um, piled up in the walkway and I have to it's quite difficult to physically get through and I just turned to the supervisor on that section and said to him this place looks like my daughter's bedroom <laughs> I said I expect this at home I said bloody hell this is I've had years of this it looks just like my daughter's bedroom and I, I got through and went away I walked through the same bit this morning it was clear of stuff and the guy turned to me and he said, doesn't look like your daughter's bedroom today, does it? <laughs> so it just, you know, it just shows just by, you don't have to go and shout at people and you don't have to be unpleasant. Just stuff like that just helps them being, they don't want, if they know you, they don't want to let you down. Mm. You know, if they feel a connection with you, they don't want to disappoint you. So it's just, just trying to build those connections and actually the first time I did it it felt really awkward I didn't know who the hell anybody was mm. I had no idea so I just walked around smiled at a couple of people said hello and I was back in the office in about two minutes because I wasn't there for any reason I was literally just walking around the place now you know already I don't know 10 days later I know who people are and I, you know, there's a lot more to talk about just as you're walking around. People engage with me. Well, it's the, um, Alex, so Ferguson, it's, the Alex Ferguson methodology, isn't it? Where, you know, you learn everyone's names, you send, you send everyone mm. 
flowers on their birthday. <laughs> it's that connection, isn't it? I think, yeah, and yeah, and actually the other the other thing about the Fergie method of management is is trying to learn that different people need different things. Yeah. You know, some people need a, a foot up the backside, other people need an arm around the shoulder. And it's trying to figure out who's who. Mm. And you know, we've got we've got one senior guy down there um, who runs our laser operation, which is absolutely the core of the business. Mm. And there's been some issues in the past. And I've adopted the Cantona approach, the as in the way that Fergie managed Cantona. Because it's like people telling me he's a difficult character, he's temperamental, will storm out, and this, that, and the other. And I've just done the Cantona method, which is put an arm around his shoulder and and spend time talking to him and, and understand him. You know, and he's a good bloke. He's a, he's got a sense of humour. We have nice chats. I've spent more time talking to him than I've anyone else down there because of the problems we've got going on at the moment, but. That's what he needs. He needs to feel, he wants to feel important, which is fine. And um, he wants someone to spend some time with him. Mm. And, and he is important. I mean, he's not, no one's irreplaceable. No one can hold business to ransom. But on the other hand, we need to look after those people. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And uh, I don't know, it's, the first business we bought was 10 people. So it was a small business and it was very similar to what I'd been used to. Um, this time it's 50 people and that's all right. It's not 500 or 5,000, but it's very different to 10. It's more than five times more complicated. Let's put it that way. Um, it's probably 25 times more, more complicated. So is um and there's no infrastructure here so if you want to get messages out to people you know we're 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 about to send one out actually it's you know it's a paper newsletter that's the best way we can do it um so but we'll get you know we'll get around that we'll get around that it's just get get into grips with it and working out the best ways to communicate with people okay well there was tons in that there's tons in that that I want to ask a bit more about. Um, yeah, and I'm glad that somebody's finally learned to listen to you when you tell them to clean clean the room. Because <laughs> yeah, you never did, yeah. <laughs> you talk a lot about physical presence and obviously walking around the workshop on a daily basis has already shown like massive effect. Um, Obviously, with COVID still being a thing, um, and I think this is just—it's this is not really a. I suppose it's just a question of your. It's just a question of your opinion on more of a general issue, but um, obviously, there's been a, a lot of people working remotely. Yeah. A year and a half. Um, and and I it doesn't seem from the the way the previous um, owners were running the business. It sounds like a, a few people were working remotely, but most people were still trying to come into the workshop. So what yeah. is your opinion on the future of 
you know, physical presence versus remote working? Like, does it have a place in your business, this business and future, your the way you want to run things or or are you just wanting to have every like physical? Uh, yeah. I think it depends what sort of business it is. I think it depends what sort of business it is. In in a in an engineering or manufacturing business, um, the action takes place in the workshop. You've got to the guys in the workshop have to be physically there. There is no option for them to work remotely. They have to be physically there. And because they have to be physically there to manage it, lead it, grow it, develop it, you've got to be physically there as well. It's quite simple. You don't have, not necessarily all the time, but regular visible presence is really important. Um, so in a business like this, you know, the I, my, my, my plan for the medium term is that the management team will be capable of doing on a day-to-day -day basis what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. So the level of presence and level of activity that I'm putting in right now is not going to be forever. But for now, it's absolutely vital. And I, and I was trying to explain this to my joint venture partner that, that physical presence as much of the time as possible yeah. is, is absolutely critical in the early stages. What we then need to do is to get the management team to kind of grow and adopt that space. And then we can wean people off seeing us every day, but for now we can't. So, and it, it doesn't change things in the sense that the physical presence is still vital. It's just that it will be the management team's physical presence, not the owners. Yeah. Because obviously we've got a plan to go out and buy other businesses and grow the group. So. I can't be here all the time, even though I say it's going to be my corporate HQ. So that, that helps with this business because I'll always have some degree of physical presence here. Um, if you're running a services business where your entire workforce can work remotely, then that's different because everyone's on the same level. It's, it's all about how the business runs. If the business can run remotely, then everybody can be remote. If the business has to be run from a physical facility, then people have got to be there mm. and anyone who isn't will be dislocated you can't you just can't help it stuff goes on it has to be dealt with the people who are not physically there to deal with it can't be involved in it mm. so that you know that that's just how it is yeah and i suppose that's an interesting point you make is with this particular business model with the acquisition business model um yeah it's kind of irrelevant what what covid's doing because at the end of the day you need to be able to figure out how things are actually working and you need to be able to build relationships with people which you know you know arguments sake is probably better in person <laughs> than than over a zoom call it is um it is it is especially in the early stages when you're trying to build rapport with people. One thing I've discovered is physical touch is really important. You know, reaching out and touching someone on the elbow, for example, is, it's a big thing. Just saying it's okay. It's all fine. Everything's good. Yeah. 
you know, or you're having a laugh and a joke with someone, you reach out, you touch them on the arm. Mm. You can't do that on Zoom. I mean, I'm sure robotics will come into play at some point. You get a robot arm reaching out of your screen, but you just can't do it. So once you establish the relationships, you can maintain them from a distance and you can do it, maintain them on a more occasional basis. But it's the building stage that, that really needs that physical presence. And yeah, there isn't, there isn't really a substitute. There isn't a substitute. Zoom's great. Mm. We're on it now. But um, it's not the same. Mm. It's not the same. So you know, we use it as much as we can. But as I say, in a in a in a business which is a manufacturing or engineering or a business where the actual production has to be done from a physical location, then everybody's got to be there. Yeah. Yeah, you talked about the importance of the kind of management, the three managers, um, I guess, sit below, let's sit below us. Um, and obviously, you've talked about how, you know, you're going through the process at the minute of getting to know them and like figuring out what their strengths and weaknesses are. And, and eventually, yeah, the goal is, is that you want to empower them to essentially be be the highest level of manager in the room so that they aren't as reliant on you so that you can go off and buy other businesses and grow the empire further um there's a clear balance here between us coming in and making decisions and saying these are our experiences these are our expertise and this is what we think is best and then also empowering the people already in the business to come with their own ideas um, and also make their own decisions so when mm. things, when things are brand new like what you're in like week week two or week three now of being there um three week three yeah that's flown by um <laughs> what is what is that balance like is it just like are you consciously thinking or will you, you know are you consciously making the decisions of like I'm going to suggest this but then I need them to like meet me halfway or like how are you striking that balance between you bringing your own decisions and expertise and getting them mm. to tell you what's best okay well, I think the the starting point is you want your management team inside the business to be doing as much as possible. You want them to be taking as much responsibility as possible for as many things as possible. And then you're filling in the gaps because the end, the, the end game here is to have a business which is growing and thriving and that takes up as little of your time as possible. That's the end game, so that you can then either be playing golf or buying and running other businesses. So, because time is the, that's the thing, isn't it? That's the, the most precious asset that you have. So my view is that you want to, right from the start, be encouraging them to do as much as possible 
and then what you're doing is inputting the stuff that they can't do and to some extent you'll have a pretty clear idea right from the beginning of what that is but you've then just got to find out figure out where the gaps are and what you have to input um there's some occasions when everyone just stops talking and looks at you and you you have to well you make a decision actually which is either you say to them no you decide and we'll back you or or you say right okay we're going to do this um and there's a mix of both we had a conversation yesterday with the management team where we were asked the question well look you know these decisions are sat there in front of us do we make them do we have to ask you what what do we do um and the answer was you make them if you're not happy to make them you ask us tell us what you're doing so we know and then if we're not happy we'll let you know mm. we'll talk about it but no you you know if there's a decision that relates to the management of the business you do it you make it because that's what you're there for and then they'll make some mistakes they'll you know they will make some mistakes guaranteed but that's how you learn and the key thing then is how we respond to that situation when it happens so but you need them to start to build confidence because they they've been in a situation up to now where they've not really been allowed to uh, to have autonomy and authority mm. and we say no do it but if you're not sure ask us that's fine but we want you to do as much as possible and you know, it's actually there's a couple of really good things in relation to our joint venture partner on this deal because he he believes is exactly the same thing. I mean, he's got a bit of a military background, and it, it's there's a concept. There's some concepts in the military, and it's all this idea of, you know, the guy who can see the enemy needs to make the decision because they know what the situation is in front of them right then and there. Yeah, they're the one in the best position to see and to know because they are the ones who've got the information. So we're on the same page. I both believe the same thing you know you you delegate down to the lowest possible level let the guys at the front in the front line make as many decisions as possible yeah um so it's um that's the thing it's trying to empower them it's trying to give them confidence that you're there if they need you but not allowing them to push off all the decisions onto you mm. okay and i think probably this is the biggest question that I would anticipate a lot of the listeners are thinking about as well. Um, that's all to do with culture, because even if you wanted to, the culture couldn't stay the same because your style, your expectations, what success looks like to you is going to be different to the previous owners and mm -hmm. they're going to be the yeah. behaviours and mindset and you know that you look for in your now new employees so how how do you take a workforce like you said before some of them have been here for 
15 years, 20 years, <laughs> how do you ask that person to change after all that time? Like, and how do you get that collective movement of behavior change and mindset change to what is your way? How does that work? Yeah, and change management is obviously a big area. Some people make a lot of money selling their expertise in that. But when it comes down to it, a lot of it is common sense, mm -hmm. I think, which is, you know, we've got a situation now which has been ongoing for a long time. So people are very used to that situation. But they're not all happy with it they're certainly not all happy with all aspects of it. Some aspects of it suit them, but there is, is unhappiness. And there's a number of things where there's a sense of unfairness that people are not being fairly treated. People are not being fairly recognized for what they do. People are not being fairly paid for what they do. So that gives us an opportunity to address that we yes it does need to change and there are some pretty fundamental things in this business that need to change in order to create the foundation to move it forward and to grow it because at the moment it's running flat out to produce what it's producing right now but inefficiently inefficient in terms of its use of people inefficient in terms of its systems and inefficient in terms of its use of machinery so we've got to address all of that because we need this business to be bigger and more profitable um, in order to achieve the objectives that we've got. So um, we need to build, I mean, this is the thing about change management is you've got to create the burning platform. You've got to, you've got to find those areas that, that people are unhappy with and then kind of get your, get your knife in there and twist it a bit so that, that it's not moving from something that they know to something they don't know. What it's doing is it making them feel better about their situation. Mm. And that's that's how we need to that's how we need to address it. So that whatever we do is seen to be demonstrably fair and actually puts some people, well, puts as many people as possible into a what they recognise to be in a better situation for them yeah so it's not it's not changing people is is not easy but i have an absolutely fundamental belief and this is backed by science that you're never too old to change your brain retains neuroplasticity well forever full stop till you're dead mm -hmm. so physiologically your brain is always capable of changing and always capable of absorbing new or creating new pathways so this idea that you can't change i'm too old to change it's absolute nonsense so that that is a truth um, not everybody recognizes it and and that is the you know that is a big problem where um people think they are incapable of change. That's the, probably the biggest problem you have. But to be honest, I, 
I haven't encountered that here yet because I think that there are some fundamental unfairnesses in the way that people are treated. It's not malicious, it's not deliberate, but there are. And that that gives us a good platform for making the changes we need to make. Mm, okay. <clears throat> and the final question for you. Um, obviously, this is the second acquisition into the Allied Global Engineering family. Um, so what would you say are your kind of top learnings from the, the journey so far? Well, I think the, the probably the biggest, I, I sort of knew this beforehand, but doing this deal has really brought it home, which is that buying businesses is not easy. And getting deals done is not easy because you know, there's a process you've got to go through and there's so many points at which the whole thing can fall down. Um, but the, the, once you buy a business, um, that is the start of the journey, not the end of it. Yeah. And actually, there's a lot more about what you do with the business after you've acquired it than there is about acquiring it in the first place. And as I say, I knew that, but this this has really brought it home to me because this business is much bigger than, than the first time around. and We've walked in at a time when there's, there's a lot of stuff going on we've got to deal with very quickly. Mm. Um, so I, I think that that's probably the biggest learning. And that's actually why I wanted to change the, both the name of the show and also the focus of the show. Because it's not just about how you buy a business. It's, it's as much, if not more, about okay, now you've got a business, what are you going to do? And these people who talk dismissively about having a buy and build strategy, I'm going to buy loads of businesses. Um, it makes me laugh because they're totally missing the point, which is that you can buy as many businesses as you like, but the, the magic is not in buying them, the magic is in running them. Um, and you know, there's someone I know well who is a an expert on buying businesses, but you know, bugger all about running them, and and doesn't seem to realise that he's missing seventy percent of the picture. Because you know, yes, it's not easy buying them. Yes, there's lots of stuff you need to know. But I tell you what, there's a lot more stuff you need to know about what happens afterwards. Yeah. And I say that's why I just thought, well, you know, you can only talk so lot, so much and for so long about how to buy a business. The really, really interesting stuff is is all the the follow on. Once you've got a business, what do you what do you do with it? Yeah. Fabulous. Well, I think um, that gives us a good good meaty idea as to what's happening with <laughs> what's happening with your uh, acquisition journey and and now yeah it's firmly in the build phase which is very exciting um speaking as a member of your team so yeah i think it's been it's been good to yeah it's been good to chat about it and i'm sure this will help a lot of people i hope so <laughs> i hope so and um, i'm looking forward to moving on to the 
the next phase of the podcast as well as the next phase of the business, the businesses. And then you know, we will continue acquiring as well. Um, and uh, we're now into that stage where we've got to do lots of things in parallel, which is why we need the team. Yeah, and we have a great team. I don't say so myself. <laughs> we do. We do have a great team. <laughs> <laughs>